and there was peace. How are we all? Welcome to Refresh, everyone. Um, first up, a community announcement. Guys, Valentine's Day tomorrow. I'm here for you. Don't forget. It's not too late. You've still got tonight. You've got tomorrow morning. Get something organised. Um, and it's probably kind of fitting, really. Valentine's Day, all about love and that kind of thing. And, and uh, we're here, and often at church, we hear about the, the love of God. Well, today, we're talking about the law of God. And when I was asked if I had any suggestions about the sermon title, I said, uh, obey or burn. But that's actually because... That's actually because it's the exact opposite of what we're talking about. But today we're starting a four-part series um, on the Sinai Code, on God's law. We've just, uh, Pastor Neil's just done two weeks on God's grace, and now we're going to talk about God's, God's law, and so we'll kick it off today. And um, I just ask that you'll bow your heads, and let's just invite God to be with us in a special way as we uh, open his word. Dear Heavenly Father, um, as we study your word, as we read your, your Bible, uh, and as we think about you and we think about your law and your love, um, I pray that you'll be with us in a special way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. There's this notion going around. There's this notion going around that to be accepted by God, you need to live a good life. There's this notion going around that there's this good God and there's this bad people and the bad people need to get gooder. That we need to get our life straight. That we need to get our life somehow more in, in line or in order before we come to God, before um, we come to God or even maybe before we keep walking with God. That we need to get our life in order before He's going to answer our prayers or, or maybe help us at work or, or maybe heal our kids when they're sick. There's this notion going around that in order to be right with God, I need to live a good life. So let me ask you a question. Do you think you're going to heaven? And when I ask that question, do you, does your mind jump to behaviour at all? Because if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, chances are it probably does. But even if, you're, you know, even if you've been a Christian for years, and even if you've heard all the sermons on God's love and acceptance and forgiveness and everything else, chances are there's still a little bit of your mind that jumps to behaviour. And that's probably because the world is just so um, active in hammering us day by day with this principle that how people think about you depends on your behaviour and who you are and whether you're a good person or not. And I've spoken to people at work and, uh, and neighbours and, uh, and when they find out I'm a Christian and we start talking about religious things, um, you know, often they'll say, well, yeah, you know, I'm a good person. I won't do that again. <laughs> and I think I just, uh, did I just break the law about lying? I don't know. There we go. I might... Um Try it in the back. I'll try to. No. Okay. There we go. Um, and this notion has done more 
arguably more, to alienate people from God and alienate people from church than perhaps anything else. Because guilt isn't a good motivator. Uh, and it's not. You think about it. You think about it in your life. You know, if you're in a place where perhaps you've done some things you're not proud of or if you're, or if you're making lifestyle decisions that, that, you know, you're not really happy about, you start to feel a bit guilty, your motivation drops and, and it's easier to make those bad decisions and you get more guilty and it's just a spiraling, you know, it's a spiral down. Guilt is not a good motivator. And guilt is not a positive motivator to get people right with God either. And God knows that because He made us. He knows how we think. He knows how we act. And so if you get nothing else out of today, I'm going to put this right out there up front, okay, so you can all be thinking about it for the rest of the sermon. This is the point for today. God's law is not a condition of His acceptance of us. It is a confirmation of his acceptance of us. God's law is not a condition of whether he'll love you or whether he'll listen to you or answer your prayers. God's law is a confirmation of his love for us. God gave us, what, 10 commandments, 10 rules, and and sometimes I have to kind of sit down and struggle if I'm trying to list them all out. There's a few there. Can we all remember them? So there's what? There's one that says, don't kill. I'm doing all right with that one. Tick. And what? There's another one that says, don't steal. Yeah, I'm doing all right, although I did kind of download some movies and now yeah, I'll give it a little tick. And then there's, uh, then there's one about, you know, don't commit adultery. My wife's in the room, so yeah, tick. And then Jesus comes along and says, well, you know what, guys? Even if you thought about it, you've committed adultery in your heart and your mind. Oh, well. It's like God gives us the rule and then Jesus comes and just amps it up to a point that we can never live to it. We can never do it. And I suppose that's part of the point. And that was part of the point of Pastor Neil's sermons on grace over the last couple of weeks where he said, you know what, God, God needs perfection and it's so far out of our reach that we just can't do it by ourselves. And that's where grace is so important. So God gave us these 10 rules, but buried in the story of God giving us these 10 commandments is the secret of how to have, or the secret of the relationship between God's law and God's love. And the secret of how we can have a relationship with God that is not dependent on what we do. So, the children of Israel... The, the nation of Israel had been in Egypt in slavery for about 400 years. So to put that into context, let's say that they're having kids at the age of somewhere between 20 and 30. So we're talking about 15 to 20 generations born into slavery. Can you go back 15 generations? Slavery for your family. And these people, they, they've been born into slavery for so long that they, they, don't, they don't have any laws. They don't have any government. They, don't have, they can hardly think for themselves. They're used to having someone tell them what to do. And when someone asks you to jump, you ask how high. And if you don't, you get beaten. They don't have any self-value. They've got major self-esteem issues. 
This is the people of Israel. And for 400 years, it's felt like God has been silent, that God has been absent. And some of them have probably even started to give up on this whole notion of God. And then out of nowhere, (laughs) out of nowhere, God shows up. And boy, does he show up. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. And Pharaoh, believing that he's a God on earth, basically turns around and says, get stuffed. (laughs) And God gives us just a glimpse of his power. He gives us just a... He just pulls back the sheet a little bit and he hammers Egypt. He lets them, he just lets it go with plague after plague after plague. And he's he's destroying their crops, he's destroying their buildings, he's um, turning the water into blood. And with each plague, he you know what he's doing? He's giving them a clear message. He's mocking their gods. He's saying, You worship the, the frog god, I'll give you frogs. You worship the Nile River. I'm going to turn that to, to blood. You worship the, the things in the sky, the sun and so on. I'm going to give you darkness. He said, you've got your lowercase g's. I am God and I have turned up for my people. Pretty amazing story. And the children of Israel are sitting here. It's unbelievable. A mighty God, a mighty God is standing up for us. A mighty God has come. We have an advocate. We have a savior. We have an almighty deliverer. So let's have a look at the story. Let's pick it up. I'm not used to this thing, so this is the first time I'm using it. Let's see if I can get it right. There we go. Let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day, this is God speaking, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Is that working? I'm getting error messages on here. Okay, here we go. Actually, can you guys just run that through? If any household, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, They must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Let's keep going right through. The animals you choose must be year-old males without any defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must, must slaughter them at twilight. Now, just keep in mind, that to us seems strange, going out and slaughtering a whole bunch of sheep and goats. To them, it was everyday life. Okay, they were their own butchers. So go out and slaughter. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the household where they, are, where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with everything else in there and eat some bread without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled or water, but roast it over the fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. 
This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign um, for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Now, there are a few main points that I take out of that passage. The first is, after 400 years of relative silence, God shows up. And the first thing he says to them is, guys, I want you to enjoy a meal. We're going to have, a, we're going to have some food. We're going to have a meal. And then he says something really weird. He says, I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to paint it on your door. Now, we might find the slaughtering of the lambs and goats a strange thing, but for them, God says, I want you to put the blood on the door. And they're like, God, what? Paint our, paint our doors with blood? What? I don't get it. I don't understand. What, what are you saying this for? God's seeing whether they'll trust him. Yeah, this is something strange. But God's saying, I want you to do something strange that you don't understand just because you trust me. You've seen what I can do. You see, you've seen that I'm here for you. Do something strange out of trust for me. The next point that I see in here is he says, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, with your shoes on, with your staff in your hand, I want you to eat it in haste. He says, you know what? I'm about to free you from your slavery. But when I free you from slavery, I want you to run from the thing that has been holding you a slave in your life. I don't free you from slavery so that you can just hang around and kind of sit there and get comfortable and slide back into your slavery. I want you to be ready to run. The next point I get out of there is he says, I want you to remember this as a special day, as a significant event, not just for your generation, but I want you to remember this, it says, through the generations, for all time. Why? Because this is a significant event for Egypt. But this is also a significant event for the generations to come. This is going to have significance in the future. And so I want you to remember this day, this Passover day. And we'll talk about that a bit more in a moment. But there's a fourth point that I get out of this as well. Because you remember what I said, the, the, the main point of today is? What was the main point of today? God's law is not a condition of his love for us. It is a confirmation of his love for us. Absolutely. And that is the main point. God's grace, God's love. He loves us first before anything else. But there is another point in here. There would have been Egyptians in Egypt who knew what the Israelites were doing. There would have been Egyptians who had slaves in their house who treated them well, who heard what was going on. There would have been Egyptians who saw 
the Israelites putting pain on their uh, blood on their doors. Can you imagine if you were an Egyptian, knowing that this God that had done all these things previously was coming, and every firstborn male was going to die? That's virtually every household, every father, every grandfather, every son who's firstborn, and not just the people, the animals too. This is devastation. Can you imagine how hard it would be living in a suburban um, Egyptian North Lakes to paint that blood on your door? To have your neighbours look at you painting that blood on your door? Or perhaps leaving your home and going to the home of your slave to be in a house where there was blood painted on the door? I guess the point is, there are natural consequences when we disobey God's law. Yes, God's law is a confirmation of his love, not a condition of his love, but there are natural consequences when we disobey God's law. God's the God who set up the laws of physics. He's the one who created gravity. And if you go to a high building and jump off, there will be natural consequences. It's not that God's punishing you specifically and saying, hey, you jumped off a tall building. You've got consequences. I'm going to punish you. There are natural consequences. And there are natural consequences from not trusting God. It's just the way it is. That's That's the way everything's set up. But God's law is not a condition of his love. It's a confirmation of our relationship with him. And he established the relationship while we didn't even know him. He established the the relationship when we didn't deserve him, when we had nothing to offer him. We, We had no reason for him to come and save us. But he did it anyway because for God, love always comes before rules. So about three months later, the children of Israel find themselves at Mount Sinai where God's giving them his Ten Commandments and and his rules. And they're standing around this mountain and the power of God is at the top of this mountain in in a cloud and there's thunder and there's lightning and the whole earth's trembling with the presence of God. And they're standing around this mountain half in awe and half in fear and and they know that they're there for a reason. They know that they're there not because... Um, they're trying to work out if they're in a relationship with God. They know they're in a relationship with God. They're not there trying to work out whether um, he, they're right with God. They know they're right. They're not trying to stand there working out whether he is going to be their God. They have seen his deliverance. They know it. And it's in this context that God establishes his law with his people after his relationship with his people. And he gives them his law so that they will know how they can get the most out of life, how they can live life to the full. And in Exodus 20, we read the story about God giving the people his, his law. And the first law he gives them, the way he starts, do you remember? Does anyone know? He starts by saying, I am the Lord your God. And the people go, well, hang on here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you mean I am the Lord the God? He says, no. I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. And here it is. First law, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And there was almost, I can almost imagine this moment with complete respect, but this moment where this whole nation, millions of people around this mountain just all went, duh, with absolute respect. God says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And all the people just went, look at what you've done. Why would we want it? Why would we choose any other God? Of course you're our God. And of course we will be your people. And that's God's first law. That's it. It's not about getting in with God, but because we are in with God, And every parent and every politician and every police person and public person knows that rules without relationship only result in rebellion. And that's why so many people have resisted God. That's why so many people resist church. Because we're told that it's all about the rules and how you follow them. And and we're going to give you these rules and see how good you are at keeping them. And if you do a good job, well, then maybe God will accept you and maybe you'll go to heaven. But God never said that. In fact, God says the opposite. God says the commandments are not a condition of our relationship. They're confirmation of our relationship. The commandments are not a condition of my love. They're a confirmation of my love. The commandments, they're not a condition of my acceptance of you. I've given them because I've already accepted you. They're a confirmation of that. Because relationship always precedes rules with God. And his first rule, back in Egypt was trust me enough to do something you don't understand. Paint that blood on the door. And his first commandment was, you know what? Let's have something special. Let's be exclusive. I'm your God. You're my people. That's it. Let's keep it simple. Well, hundreds of years later, that same God who sent the hail and turned the river into blood and sent the locusts and, the, and, and all of that, that same God was sitting in a little upstairs room in Jerusalem with his friends. Jesus was acting out, reenacting that same Passover that the Jewish people had remembered according to what God had told them to do for, for hundreds of years. And he pours the wine and he says, you know what, this wine... We do this because we remember the blood we painted on the door, but this wine represents something a bit different now. And he breaks the unleavened bread that they've been breaking ever since they left Egypt that day. And he says, guys, you know what? This, this day is different. God is about to do something even more amazing than those ten plagues. The lamb that we eat, is a symbol not just of what God did then, but it's what God is going to do now. That wine that represents the blood is not for the Israelite nation. It's now for you. That, that bread we're breaking, that's my body. And after this is done, I want you to go out and tell the whole world that God invites you to a relationship. Not because of what you've done, 
but because of what God has already done for you. God's love is never a condition. His acceptance is never conditional on your keeping his law. It's because he loves you. And that's a powerful message. And for a lot of people, that's a new message. And, and for people who have heard this message before, it's a message we need to hear a lot because the world is constantly trying to tell us your value is based on whether you're a good person or not. And if you're new to Christianity or if you're you know, considering a deeper relationship with Christ, you will rarely find a Christian who has changed their life and accepted Christ out of guilt. If you talk to them, you'll rarely find that they made that life change because of guilt. They will tell you a little mini Exodus story. I had a habit. I had a difficult marriage. Um, my life was financially upside down. My, my life was going nowhere. I had an addiction. My life was a mess. I'd broken so many rules. I'd, I'd made all these bad decisions. But God overlooked that and rescued me anyway. And God always says, I'll save you. Always. And Christians will tell you, I changed my life not out of guilt, but out of gratitude for what God has done for me. When I had done nothing for him, let alone for myself, while I was still ignorant of God or even perhaps his enemy or, or it, it perhaps didn't even know what his law was. It's not out of guilt that I changed my life. It's out of gratitude because the rules are never a condition of God's acceptance. They're always a confirmation of my gratitude because what he did to save me out of my Egypt, the, the Egypts of financial bondage, of substance bondage, of bad decision bondage, of poor self-control bondage. I'm a follower of Jesus not because I love following rules, not even really because of maybe I'll get to heaven. I'm a follower of Jesus because of what he has already done for me. Now, I'm a dog man. I've grown up with dogs most of my life. I know that was a fairly sudden change of tack, but keep up. And um, I might get you to help me with this one as well, guys. <coughs> Pardon me. And, uh, and at the moment, we have a dog that looks like this. Uh, but most of my life, I had a dog that looked like this. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and when you have a dog that looks like this, people like you to keep it in your yard. And so we build fences to keep our dogs in the yard. Whose dog do we keep in our yard? We keep our dog in our yard. We don't keep someone else's dog in our yard. Does the fact that our dog is in our yard, is that what makes it our dog? Is it that if our dog suddenly uh, left our yard and walked down the street and went into someone else's yard, well, now it's your dog. <laughs> Enjoy that. <laughs> it's not my dog, it's your dog. It's in your yard. Got out of my fence. It's not how it works. It's our dog because we purchased it. And we put it in the fence because we want to help protect it. Our current dog, let's go back to our current dog, this one. <coughs> he looks cute and innocent. He's really not that 
cute and innocent. Our dog, when he was younger, used to love to get out. He, he sits in a place where he can see a path where people walk and ride and they walk their dogs and everything else. And so he just sits there watching this all day and he would love to get out. And every opportunity he would try to get out, he'd get out. And the biggest issue was that whenever someone came to the door and knocked on the door, as soon as we opened the door, you knew what was going to happen. The dog would be sitting nearby, looking the other way, nothing's happening here, nothing to see. And as soon as the door was open wide enough, as soon as he thought you weren't watching, he was out like a light. And the first few times he did that, he went back into the yard and he'd sniff around the fence because we had a dog next door and he'd have a great old time. One day, he shot out like a light, went straight down the path, straight out on the road and got hit by a car. Yeah, that was sudden too, wasn't it? I weren't expecting that, were you? And the poor young lady driving the car just about freaked. You could hear the tires scream and she got out of the car and the poor thing... I thought we were almost going to have two people to deal with, you know, in, in terms of uh, medical uh, emergencies. <coughs> and there was our dog. He, he was fine. I don't know how he survived it. He was fine. And he, he just trotted straight back to the front door and sat there waiting for us to open it for him. And you know what? Since that day, he's never shot out and run out on the road. Something happened that day. Now, he kind of likes that fence. When I was younger, let's go back to the other dog. When I, when I was younger, when I was in my high school years, we had an Alsatian um, that we named Vol- uh, Volk. And Volk is the Russian word for wolf. And he was a big Alsatian and he was, uh, he was sort of a, a medium to long-haired Alsatian and his colourings made him look a little bit like a wolf. He was a great dog. But he was in a small suburban yard and he was an, in- he was an intelligent dog, an inquisitive dog, and he would often find ways to get out through the fence. And when you've got a dog like that and he gets out through the fence, you kind of know that you need to find him as quick as you can. And, and we could have sat there and, you know, I could have come home and gone, oh, Mum, Dad, the dog's escaped and the dog's gone. What are we going to do? And they could have said, hey, you know what? He's in someone else's yard. He's not our dog anymore. But we didn't do that. Mum and Dad would jump in the cars and Dad would start driving around looking for him and I'd get out on my bike riding up and down the streets and we'd be calling his name and looking for him everywhere we could. And you know what? That as well is a perfect analogy of what God does when we get out of the fence. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? You're in someone else's yard. Lump it there now. He comes looking. And the moral is that God doesn't want you running around on the street. No, not really. But for many of us, this is a change in our thinking. And for some of us, it's an important reminder of the message that we're giving to other people around us in our community about our God and what he's really like. In our school community, in our work community, for our neighbours, what are we really telling them about the God that we love because of what he's done for us. The same way that Jesus freed the children of Israel with a mighty hand, he freed you with an even mightier hand. And last time I spoke to you a few weeks ago, I said that my prayer and my desire for 
each one of you individually and for us as a church is that 2016 will be the best spiritual year that you have ever had. Do you remember that? Do any of you, were you here for that? Do you remember that? And that's still my prayer. And you know what? This message is foundational to this becoming one of your best years with God that you've ever had. And not just your best year that you've ever had with God, but also the best year that your friends and neighbours have ever had with God. Because this message is liberating. And if you're here because you're kind of new to the whole Christianity thing, the whole God thing, I want to invite you, just say a little prayer in your own head right now. It's that simple. Just say, like the children of Israel when they were painting the blood on the door, God, you know what? I want to trust you. I want to trust you because of what you have already done for me. It's that simple. It's that easy. That's all it takes. Maybe you've known this stuff for a long time, but you've slowly started focusing on, focusing on your action, actions and the behaviours of the people around you rather than focusing on what God has already done for you in your life and thinking back to all the times he's been with you and helped you and, and saved you. Well, I want to invite you as well to say a little prayer and ask God to, to remind you more frequently. More than anything, I want to remind you that God's law is never a condition of his love and acceptance of you. It's a confirmation of his love and acceptance for you. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to always remember your great love for us and your, your mercy that even though we didn't do anything to deserve you, you saved us. And help us to remember that it's not about what I've done, but what you did. And so today we, we praise you and, and want to place our trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the full payment for all of our sins and, and for anything we're not proud of and, and for our restoration with God, that we can be right with him. We want you to be our God and we want to know that we are your children. To always remember how good you've been to us in the past and all that you've done for us and, and that you want us to live a life to the full, a joyful life and that's why you've given us your law. Thank you for making it simple and clear and help us to make it that simple and clear to the world around us because there's so much confusion in the world about who you are and, and how we can relate to you. Thank you that your rules are never a condition of your love for us, but always a confirmation of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and if there is anyone who... Um, who's perhaps sitting here this morning and saying, you know what, I want to learn more about this God. Um, I want to uh, maybe just deepen my relationship with him a bit more. You know what, it's just like, uh, like we've been talking about. You don't need to know, I was talking to someone last week, 
you don't need to get to a point where you know enough to join a study group or a small group in the church. You, you don't need to do anything to come to God ever. Uh, you know, talk to Pastor Neil, talk to Pastor Simo, talk to myself or any of the other leaders in the church and, and we'll hook you up. We'll hook you up with some people that can, can rally around you and we'll hook you up with God as well. God bless. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Um, thanks for worshipping with us.